Good morning, Eagles. Hope you're all having a very good Friday. While we're starting this chapter, I would like you to think about what do you give thanks to the Lord for? Especially right now, like, is it for the weather? Or maybe it's your favorite soccer team or volleyball team or basketball team or even a runner um, winning? Go me as Eagles, am I right? Is it that you're getting A's in your classes or passing them? Is it for your great education, your library, or car? Is it your friends and your family that you give thanks for? Uh, the people in your life who encourage you or are funny? These are all very good things to give thanks for. So what do you thank the Lord for the most? Do you give thanks for the missionaries um, preaching the word? Do you give thanks for people knowing the Lord and coming to him? What do you give thanks to God for when you have the time? It's a lot of things to give thanks for, right? We sang a song, 10,000 Reasons, and... A lot of reasons to give thanks to the Lord, to sing to him, but there are some very, very good things to give thanks for. And today we'll see one of these. So what is it that we should give thanks for, according to 1 Thessalonians 1? Uh, we will see in a very striking manner how Paul, Paul and Silas and Timothy, give thanks to the Lord for really this, the conversion and salvation of their new acquaintances, the Thessalonians. He gives thanks because he knows they are saved. He sees their conversion. Knowing that someone is truly saved is a very, very wonderful thing. You know that person is alive. And as we see this chapter develop, hope you notice how much richer your thanksgiving is when it's clear what you're giving thanks for. So in this passage, we will see how the marks of true conversion produce thanksgiving in the lives of those who hear it. Let's begin by reading verses 2 through 4 again. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. We give thanks to God all the time for all of you. True conversion produces thanksgiving in the hearts of other believers. This is what Paul is demonstrating when he says, we always give thanks for you. Paul just met these Thessalonians um, a little while earlier. Uh, he preached to them, and they received the gospel. When Paul had to leave because of some severe persecution and death threats, uh, he sent Timothy back to see how they were doing. And apparently, they were doing pretty well because he writes back and says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And we can't hear of someone's salvation, someone proving their faith, and not be thankful. It'd be weird. I mean, salvation is the best thing we have ever received, like ever. Um, it would go that it's also the best thing anybody has ever received. We are thankful to the Lord for those who truly trust him. We don't move on like it's a, no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal that someone comes to know the Lord and the Lord changes that person. Isn't that exciting? Um, I just met a few new believers recently They've been Christians for about a year or maybe less now. But seeing how the Lord has changed their lives and seeing, and one of them told me, like, uh, how much more meaningful his life is, how much more real it is, and how worthwhile it was to follow the Lord. I praise God that he saved this friend of mine and made him his own. So why should we give thanks to God for new believers? Right? Why? What, what's this all about? One, because it is encouraging to hear of new believers, right? A lot of us have been saved for a long time now, and praise the Lord for that too. But seeing someone who formerly did not know the Lord, who did not have that clear, um, true knowledge, 
and come to know him is very amazing. It's basically watching somebody come to life. It's like birth without all the blood. It's encouraging, it's encouraging to meet new believers. Uh, one author I read said, Believers who have walked with Jesus for many years will experience afresh the grace of God as they see again the beauty of the gospel through the eyes of those who have just come to faith. So give thanks to the Lord for the salvation of the believers. One, because it's encouraging. Two, because it's a genuine expression of your love towards your new brothers and sisters in Christ. How could you not give thanks for them? It's consistent with true friendship to uh, wish the best for your friends. And if the best thing is salvation, then it would be consistent to give thanks for that most. We give thanks to God for new believers, and we give thanks to God when our friends show true conversion. But what defines a genuine believer? They believe in Jesus Christ, right? Can't read people's minds, um, so how would we know? Uh, Paul doesn't seem to have a problem with saying you're saved, because if you read verses 2 through 4, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, uh, mentioning you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, of our, um, your or his choosing you. So what defines a true believer? One, uh, the mark of true conversion, and a true believer is defined by being saved by God. Salvation and true conversion is something that comes from God first. Uh, the phrase in verse 4 says, his choice of you. This denotes the reality of God's work in people's lives. Uh, everybody who has been saved has been saved by God's work. It's because God does something in our hearts that we can follow him. Jesus said this in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. A.W. Tozer, a well-known preacher, said in the very first paragraph of the very first chapter of his book, The Prisoner of God, Before a man can seek God, God must first have sought a man. It is because God first did something that we can never do thing do anything. And Paul gives thanks to God because he is the one that allows anyone's conversion to happen. So first, God does the choosing, right? Second, he, he fulfills that conversion. When we read verse 5, we see how Paul says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. A conversion is genuine if God did it. When people get saved, God's hand was working on that person. And Paul recognizes this very thing. Actually, it's how he knows that it was a real conversion, because it happened in the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers the Thessalonians to believe the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers Paul to preach it, and it's the Holy Spirit who empowers any of us to actually be saved, to believe the good news of Jesus' death, resurrection, and salvation. This is proof of somebody's salvation, but again, how can we prove somebody has the Holy Spirit? Can't, can we? Isn't there a theme verse that we have about something, something for the Spirit? Uh, Galatians 5, 22, 23 <laughs> says, But the fruit of the Spirit are, or is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. So how would Paul know that the Thessalonians had the Holy Spirit? Well, he saw the fruit in their lives. It's evidenced in verse 6 as he says, having received the that they received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Genuine converts have the fruit of the Spirit. It's not to say that sometimes um, we or new believers don't show them, but 
That's why we're called to walk by the Spirit. The evidence of people showing the indwelling of the Spirit is itself a great reason to give thanks to God. Having the Holy Spirit is the third work that God does in believers' lives, as described in this chapter. And Paul is thankful to the Lord because of this. So we know that a mark of genuine conversion is God's work in that person. But what about the convert's own actions? Their own, um, they're showing their faith. Let's read verses 3 and 6 through 10. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And down to verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Like a preacher I once heard here say, this bone is heavy with meat. Here is a very important point about um, the convert's work. Genuine conversion is something very noticeable. What does that mean? If you look at the contents of verse 3, he mentions that we give thanks because we're thinking about your work of faith, uh, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. And I like the Christian Standard Bible's translation of this because it faithfully clarifies what the text is saying. Your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The focus here is on the first word of the three pairs. Work and labor are pretty synonymous. We would probably understand both of those words as meaning something we do, like hard, hard work to, do, to um, accomplish something. Um, but why is it used? Uh, the Christian Thessalonians were obviously were showing their faith, and they were showing their love for Jesus, and Paul's giving thanks for this. But how does Paul see their faith uh, in Jesus and their love for Jesus? Because of their works and their labor. I trust they understand that um, salvation, uh, like works-based salvation and working because you're, you're saved are two very different things. Like the one is a... Uh, false doctrine and a false gospel that will leave you with no hope and utterly distraught. The other one is the message of the Bible. Um, your salvation produces works. It's what James says in his famous argument in verse in chapter two, synthesizing it in verse eighteen. You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This is also what Paul is saying here. And even in our most favorite or our most famous um, passage about salvation by uh, grace alone through faith alone, in Ephesians 2.10, right after that passage, it says, you are saved to do good works. True conversion produces noticeable works. And the Thessalonians were doing that, and Paul was giving thanks because of it. We give thanks to God, bearing in mind your work. It's not legalism. So what is this work and labor? Well, the text in this part doesn't say exactly what your actions are supposed to be, but um, if you, you can probably think of things that are drawn out from your faith in Christ and your love for Christ. For me, it could be um, loving a neighbor whom I'm not happy with or 
giving money to the poor or volunteering at a homeless shelter. Some of the things are not so easy. Could also be taking the blame for somebody else's problem when you were working with them. You don't have to just throw them under the bus. But the marks of true conversion are noticeable works. You don't do them to be noticed, but you do them because they come from your salvation. If you have genuine faith in Christ and if you have love for him, you do it. You do something. That's the point of um, salvation. And here it expresses that Paul is grateful to... What? This one? Okay. That Paul is grateful to the Lord that the Thessalonians are showing this. So, the marks of true conversion are noticeable works done. And if we continue reading verses 6 through 8, we'll see that not only things that we do, but some uh, other things, including our attitudes, our lifestyles, and worldview. Let's read verses uh, 6 through 8. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Because, oh, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith for God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. I knew a man, um, he was a devout Catholic, but he really appreciated the Protestant faith because he said, my son was a drunk and a gambler and he was wasting his life, but when he was converted, and he used the word converted because he's Catholic, but... When he was converted, his whole life changed and became better. A mark of true conversion is real change in lifestyle. For the Thessalonians, this meant that they changed their lives and began to imitate their teachers. Um, says verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Um, and it's also based on the fact that on verse 5, you saw what kind of men we were. So Paul was demonstrating or proving his faith, and the Thessalonians you know, understood and believed the gospel, and they also copied this faith. Here, a note should be said about um, evangelism, that true evangelism includes um, discipleship and nurturing the faith of new believers. Paul did that, and we can see that it was helpful because the Thessalonians um, proved their faith and imitated uh, Paul and Christ. In fact, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and several of his... Um, epistles. And yet here he doesn't actually say imitate me. He says, you did imitate me and you do imitate Christ. The work of discipleship and evangelism is very necessary and Paul was diligent to do this and it had a true bearing in the Thessalonians' life. And the Thessalonians I imagine became good at discipling too. The Thessalonians changed their lifestyle and they imitated Paul. Uh, one of these other ways that they did it was through suffering willingly because of the gospel, as it says at the end of verse 6. You have, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, suffering is something that's not easy. Um, for Thessalonians, it was kind of, it was pretty fresh because Paul had to leave town because they were going to kill him. So the Thessalonians stuck around and still had to bear the brunt of that uh, persecution. But they were steadfast. That kind of goes back to verse 3, that steadfastness and hope. Like, they were steadfast because they had this change. This, they were imitating Christ, and they, they knew that there was something better. Um, they suffered. And suffering is something that the Bible says Christians will um, experience. Uh, but like the suffering that First Peter 1 talks about, it is a suffering that strengthens believers. 
It's not easy, but it purifies your faith. And it solidifies and proves that your hope in Jesus is true. Christian suffering and persecution is so common, or has been so common, that in the 16th century, this guy, John Fox, wrote a book. He was also persecuted, but he wrote it kind of like against Mary Tudor and to kind of show all the people who, all the Christians who throughout the church age have suffered, um, actually helped encourage a lot of people since then who suffered very similar things. The Thessalonians imitated Paul and imitated Christ. They suffered, but they also did other things that are very noticeable. Um, True conversion is loud about it, about itself. True converts are loud about their conversion. If we read verses 7 and 8, we can see this, that the Thessalonians became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Thessalonians didn't sit down and, you know, oh, we're Christian. They talked about it. They shared it. Everybody knew. I bet some people thought it was annoying, hence the persecution. Um, But true converts are loud about their faith. It's, I mean, evangelism is one of the commands of the Bible that everybody remembers, like, go out and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But, like, the Thessalonians were heard, not just in their towns, but, like, the cities and the regions around them. Everybody heard about it. But not only the unbelievers, but the, un- the believers as well. Again, there is this whole point that uh, new converts encourage the faith of old believers. Praise the Lord for this. Praise the Lord that we have new believers, that obviously our faith is spreading, it's um, multiplying, and there are new people who can encourage us by the new and very fresh faith that they have. And thank the Lord for the genuine converts who are loud about their faith. But not only do genuine converts show their faith through their works and through their lifestyle, it, genuine conversion has a radical change in worldview. Verses 9 and 10 say this about the recent Thessalonian converts. You turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Very few of us have experienced pagan cultures, right? Um, most of us live in a post-Christian or pseudo-Christian country, and we don't really have uh, idols that people set up to worship. Though, if you wanted to make an argument for America becoming, or being in pagan culture, I suppose it'd have its um, merit. But remember Eric Rasmussen's sermon on idolatry? Everyone commits idolatry. You don't have to have an actual metal statue to worship something. But you do have to turn from whatever idol you have to be a true convert. The Thessalonians did this with real idols, just like um, thousands of other pagan cultures have since the beginning of the church, and just like the culture around where I lived did when they received the gospel. The Thessalonians stopped worshiping their own inventions and turned to the true God, and they started worshiping God. Like, of course Paul is giving thanks for them. They're not dead. They're showing their work. God did work in them, and they're not worshiping idols. They're worshiping God. Like, this is amazing. Thank God for people turning from idols. Thank the Lord for genuine converts who also turn away from worshiping idols to worship the true God. It's a pretty visible mark of conversion. Nowadays, converts still have to turn away from their sports idols and their 
celebrity idols and their political idols and their social idols. But this is faith. Turning to God from idols is a mark of true conversion. And lastly, within that worldview aspect, we have not only a change in who we worship or what we worship, but what our purpose is. Because in verse 10, it says that the Thessalonians not only turned to God to worship God, they also waited for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. We thank God because true converts have a real purpose in life. And they have hope for the future. You have hope for the future. I have hope for the future. That's why I'm a believer. Um, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin and also to save me from this world. Uh, Not only the sin of this world, but the future um, judgment on it. Waiting for Jesus to save us from the world is an important theme of this book, not only Thessalonians, but the whole Bible. It's also a very um, pertinent part of our faith. Uh, during the fundamentalist controversy, if you've ever heard about it, the big move in liberal theology in America, the fundamentals stuck up for about five points. Mainly, they were the, the reality of miracles. Um, to be a Christian, like to be a genuine Christian, you have to believe in the reality of miracles, the virgin birth, um, Jesus' substitutionary atonement on the cross, his bodily resurrection, and there was a fifth, or it was a sixth, it was waiting for Jesus' return. That was one of the main things that defines a Christian. And it's because we have hope in Jesus that we do wait for his return. And this is something to really give thanks to God for, not only for new believers, but for all believers. And it connects back to the steadfastness of hope that we have in Jesus. It's a tangible hope that we can hang on to. And we give thanks for true believers having this hope. We thank God because every true convert will have that hope fulfilled. So true conversion should probably or should or will probably produce an encouraging testimony and change consistent with the message of the gospel. The Thessalonians, they were only believers for probably a few months, and yet they were showing their faith. So praise the Lord for true converts and thank him for saving new people every day. The marks of true conversion should produce thanksgiving in us, just as it did for Paul. We can be genuinely excited that the Lord's work in people's lives um, Uh, that the Lord works in people's lives. And we can go out and make disciples knowing that the Lord will fulfill um, that and will make disciples and new people will be saved. Always give thanks for believers. I give thanks always for all of you. I thank the Lord for you if you're a new convert. And if you're one of my friends who I mentioned, I really thank the Lord because I can see him working in your life and I can see the faith, uh, that your faith is genuine. So, as Paul did with the Thessalonians, let's thank God for the works and the um, fact that God chose new people and that new, new converts can show their genuine faith.